a relationship with God is not based on what you can do for him. It's based on what he has done for you. Um, that is what grace is called. What if, what if this were the case? If you were acceptable to God, not based on what you can do or what you have done, but if you are acceptable to God based upon his work, not yours. The word we use for that is grace. It, it, is, uh, it is this free and unearned, undeserved favor of God. That's what grace is. In other words, we do not get what we have deserved and what we have earned. We don't get that. Instead, he gives us what we don't deserve, what we have not earned. Grace is an amazingly big part of God's one big story. When we think of the Bible, we usually think of like a rule book, a list of do's and don'ts, uh, maybe some stories mixed in that are a little bit more like fairy tales than real life. That's what we think about. But what if the Bible really were the story of God as our creator, a God who created a good world and in order for him to reveal his goodness to us? Sometimes we get so bogged down in the details, the words, the language of the Bible that we miss the larger story. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're taking a step back for a few weeks so that we can look at this one big picture that God is creating, this one big story that he's writing. And so we can see it more clearly what he is writing and what he is writing through this world that he's actually created. Now, last week, we looked at how the world had fallen. God created a man, he created woman, and he created them in his image. He said they are very good. He placed them in the garden and in this paradise in order just to, to love life and to live their lives, to love the creation that they were, they were placed among and to love one another and for them to love God. That's why they were there. But then the villain enters the story. He crawls into the garden, convinced Eve that she could not really trust the goodness of God. And the villain, the evil one, planted a seed of doubt inside of her mind that caused her to think this. God, well, for some reason, he has withheld something that was necessary for her, for me, she thinks, to be completely good or whole. And so she thinks she has to add something to that, to be good and to be whole. And the honest truth is this. This is the same thing that we have all been dealing with for all of our own past as well. And when this happened, everything in God's creation broke. Life and creation would now be harder to live and the people in it would be harder to love. Their relationship, Adam and Eve, their relationship with each other would now become strained and difficult and that's what happens even now today. And their intimate relationship with God, suddenly, in that moment, it was broken. And it stayed broken. A giant wall, immediately, this wall of separation went up between his created man and God himself. But in all of that, God's goodness was not lost. The end of that particular chapter, chapter <laughs> includes this phrase. I'm going to paraphrase it. 
God gives us this little hidden jewel at the end of chapter 3, and he says this, that this whole story that God is writing is not over. In fact, he adds this twist to it. He says, one day the offspring of you, the woman, he says as he looks at Eve, he says, your offspring will give us final victory over the enemy. And from that moment on, God begins this relentless pursuit to win back his creation, his people. And then God sent Adam and Eve and humanity out of the garden. And God continues now to write this story in a new setting. Now, you would think that humanity had learned its lesson. But, nope, they kept sinning. And they kept spinning further and further and further out of control. And in fact, it went to the point that God decided, I'm just going to start over. I'm going to start completely over. So he had a man named Noah go and build a boat and corral some animals, put in it, and he flooded everything else that was left. Now, that story is probably familiar to you because maybe you heard as a child or you have uh, maybe decorated your child's nursery or child's room with this theme But this is so much more than a story. This reveals that God's presence is with us. God has not left his creation. It's another promise. He's still writing his story. He's still there. And in this this particular story, he also gives us a glimpse of some salvation that's in works that's going to come. So now Noah, they make it, they start over, and humanity increases again, and guess what happens? The people decide once again that they want to be like God, just like Eve did in the Garden of Eden. They now try to do something that's going to make themselves like God, only this time it wasn't about a forbidden fruit. This time it's about building a tower to reach heaven. They want to somehow bridge the gap between themselves and God. And they try to do it with their own power, their own way, their own efforts, their own work, their own performance, their own productivity. They're trying to place themselves on an equal footing with God. And God's response to that is, well, he confuses their language. And now the people begin to break off into groups, into different cultures, and they populate the earth from different places. That was the result. Once again, in this moment, creation was a complete mess. But guess what? God didn't give up. In fact, in this, from this complete mess, God initiates a promise with his people, his creation, even though they don't deserve it. He does it anyway. Despite the mess, God was persistent. And he inches closer and closer to man by this one man named Abram. Now, you've probably heard of him before by the name of Abraham. Uh, Abraham, his given name was Abram. And this story about Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, lasts for about 10 chapters in the Bible. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12. And now this is God speaking to Abram. He says this in verse 1. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is what God says to him. When I was a student, when I was a junior high, high school student, I would periodically find myself in some desperate states, some desperate situations. And this is what I would do. I'd pray to God. I'd say, God, if you will take care of this for me, I will do better. I will love you more. I I will serve you better. And I, I will do what you want. Please, God, just take care of this situation, this circumstance for me. And it seems like no more than maybe a day or two would go by and I would be back to normal, just kind of ignoring God, just like I had done before things would be back to normal. I was just doing now what I wanted to do again, as I usually did. And then in a few weeks or a few months, something would go wrong again. I would be right back at it and I would say, God, um, listen, I, yikes, I, I know I didn't hold up my end of the bargain last time, but listen, if you would just take this pain away from me, or I would say, if you would fix this, or if you would get me out of this mess, I will do it this time. I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do it last time, but I'll do better this time. God, just make it better for me, please. Now, one thing all of those scenarios had in common was me. I could not keep my end of the deal. I never did. I never kept my end of the bargain. So I had developed a new habit. The habit was this. Try to bargain with God. No matter what happens, bargain with God. When I messed up and I needed help, I would bargain with God for help. When I did some good things, if I like went to church when I was supposed to, if I, if I, maybe I read my Bible and I prayed every day for a week, or maybe I had some temptations that I didn't give into, so I, I kind of stood strong. If I did something good, I would still try to bargain with God, but this time I'd bargain for extra favors. I'd be like, look, God, look what I did. Now, what will you do for me? I was a good boy. God, have you ever made a bargain with God? Most of us have. We say, God, if you'll stop that stomach flu, I will never eat fast food again. We say, or maybe we say something like this, God, if you'll get me through this life storm that I'm in right now, I will stop watching that on the internet. Or I will stop that relationship that I know you don't want me in. Or I'll pour out all of my alcohol. I'll empty all the bottles. Or I'll I'll stop taking those meds that I don't have a prescription for. Or I I do have a prescription, but I'm taking them the way I want to take. I'll stop. I'll stop that. And usually, we kind of make fun of those scenarios. But here's the truth. Usually, we are honest and heartfelt When we make those bargains with God, but they're always forgotten over time. Have you tried to work yourself into good standing with God? Maybe you felt like you needed to complete some kind of good deed to make up for a sin that you committed days before. The problem is, that we just can't be good enough to make up for these things. Or maybe you're on the other extreme. Maybe you feel like you have been so bad that there is absolutely nothing that you will ever be able to do to be acceptable to God. Possibly that's the way you feel. The story of Abram shows us a bargain, but it's a different kind of bargain. And this is good news for us as we look at this bargain. 
God's promise to Abram in that little passage we just read in Genesis 12 is a game changer, and it sets the stage for the rest of this great big story. Once again, God entered the story, and in that story, God gives it a twist, and forever the direction of history is now changed. He told Abram, Abram, I want you to pack up your bags, I'm going to send you to a new place, and I will change history through you. Abram. Now just stop for a moment and think about this. That's an incredible promise. God is clearly still involved in this story, even though the world had become a mess. But why did God choose Abram? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why? why? The Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, we don't know a lot about his backstory. We don't know what kind of man he was. We, we don't know why God picked Abram. We don't know. But what that tells us in this story is that it's not about Abram and what he has done. It's about who God is. It's not about who Abram is and all about him. It's about who God is. And for whatever reason, God picked Abram and he made a bunch of unbelievable promises to Abram. Let's just review them very quickly. Here's what he said. Abram, you will be a great nation. Huge promise. Then he says, those who bless you will be blessed. Giant promise. Those who curse you will be cursed. Another giant promise. And then he ends it with this. And everyone on the earth will be blessed because of you, Abram. And it's going to take the remainder of God's great big story to even scratch the surface of what it means. But it shows us this. God is persistent and God is good. God doesn't just ask people to believe in him. God in turn actually believes in people to be a part of his great big story. That's pretty amazing. It also shows us that God is not just sitting back and aware of what's happening on his creation. No, 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 no. He's not just watching it. God is intimately involved in this story and in his creation. I don't know if Abram totally understood what it meant, the whole blessing and cursing thing with God's promise. I'm sure he didn't totally understand that. I mean, we don't even totally understand it this side, these thousands of years later. But Abram undoubtedly heard this message very loud and clear. And this was the message I think he heard. God saying to him through all of that, I am with you. Abram, I am with you. This is all about God's persistence. This is all about God's presence in his life. It's all about the promise that God is making him. He would be with Abram. Now that phrase, God saying, I am with you. It's one of the most prominent phrases in all of God's great big story. He told both Moses and Joshua to have confidence in their leadership. Because why? Because God would be with them. Later in the story, um, we read that God was with the judges and he was with the kings of Israel. We read that he was with the prophets, prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Even in Psalm 23, the psalmist writes one of the most vivid 
pictures of God's presence. And he says this, the psalmist says, I'm not going to fear any evil. He says, because you, God, you are with me. And this idea of God being with us takes an amazing, dramatic new meaning at the beginning of the New Testament. Even the name of Jesus himself, as he enters the scene, his name is Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Wow. And then Jesus goes on in his ministry, you know, as he's gathering up his 12, he says, I ga- I'm gathering them up so they might be with me. And then he ends that ministry here on earth by saying this to those men. He says, I will be with you always, but I'm getting ahead of myself as I talk about all of this. We're going to get to this in a couple of weeks. So let's go back to Abram right now. Humanity God's creation had done nothing to earn God's favor or trust. People hadn't done anything to make God want to to be a part of their story. In fact, if we were God, we probably would have run away from that creation and said, I'm out of here. They've blown it. Not God. He continues to reveal who he is and how good he is and his actions prove it. And they are not contingent upon what we do. They are entirely dependent upon what God has done and what he is doing. And through all of this, God is going to make his character known and he's going to make his reputation famous through Abram. And now how does Abram respond? What does Abram do? I mean, we don't see the rest of the conversation. We don't even know if the conversation continued. We don't know. We don't know if Abram looked at God and asked some clarifying questions. You know, well, God, what about this? What about this? We, we don't know. We don't know. All we know is he left. All we know is Abram packed up his stuff and he started following God wherever it was going to be that God was going to show him to go. He was obedient to the very first step. Even though he didn't know where he was going, he trusted God. Even though he didn't know very much about God, he was obedient to the first thing God asked him to do, and he went and did it. It didn't include a lot of information. He didn't know. He didn't know where. He just knew he needed to pack up, and he needed to take the step into this great unknown. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves this morning. We find ourselves in a situation like that. We don't really know where we are supposed to go with God. And we don't even know a whole lot about God. But if we trust what we do know, the little bit we know, if we will trust that, if we will be obedient to that first step, then I believe we will find that we can get swept into this great big story that God is writing. Just like Abram did. That's what obedience is all about. Obedience is not about obeying the rules. Obedience is not about doing better, doing good. Obedience is not about rules. It's about a relationship with him. It means this, that we recognize that God's character is behind every request that he asks us, every command that he gives us. So, when we walk in obedience and say yes to the steps, that means we're really 
not saying yes to a rule. We're saying, yes, I trust the character of God. Now, for the next several chapters, as we follow Abram's story, it continues to unfold. Abram makes some really big mistakes during that story. During that 10 chapters, he makes some really poor choices. He makes some stupid decisions. Sound anything like us? But God remained faithful the whole time. Even though he made a lot of mistakes, God continued to be with Abram. And God continues and he forges. He goes ahead with this request, this promise that God has made. In Genesis 15, God shows up again, and he's talking to Abram, and he reiterates, he goes over again this promise that he has made. But this time he makes it a bit more personal. Look how this goes in verse 1. God says to Abram, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, while the phrase, I am with you, that we just talked about, it's one of the most famous phrases in the Bible. This phrase, do not be afraid, is just as famous And it shows up a lot. Now, not being afraid is always tied to being in God's presence. And God comes back to Abram here and he reassures him, Abram, I am still here. He's saying, Abram, I have not left. I'm still with you. I'm still involved. And then God reminds Abram the second part of this promise. This is the crazy part of the promise. I love this. Verse 5. He says, look to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. This is the promise uh, about Abraham being made into a great nation. And God is reminding him, this is still in effect. I have not forgotten about this. This is still in play. And so to help you understand it, Abram, here's what I want you to do. I want you to count the stars. Now, I wonder about this as Abraham was told to count the stars. How long between the phrase, I want you to count the stars, and then until God picks it up and says, this is how many offspring you're going to have? I wonder how long. I mean, did he just say, Abram, count the stars? And then did God perhaps pause and give Abram a moment to start counting the stars? And if so, how long did he pause? Because I could just imagine Abram sitting there starting to count the stars and saying, I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'm going to count. So he starts counting, one, two, three, four, and and he's pointing and he's counting. An hour passes, he's still counting, and he's beginning to see stars, duplicates of stars. I'm not sure if I counted that one. He's counting maybe as high as he could count, and he notices, he knows, I'm never going to be able to count all these stars. How long did God give him to come to that point, to that realization? And then God speaks again. He says this, so shall your offspring be. In other words, you can't even begin to count my blessings for you, Abram. You can't even fathom my promises. You can't comprehend how big I am as your God. And if that wasn't amazing enough, keep reading. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Wait, 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 wait. That's it? I mean, he believes? 
and God gives him credit for believing. That's all. I mean, that's, that's all that's required. He, he just believed that what God said was true and that God is trustworthy and Abram gets credit for that? I mean, God assumes all the risk and Abraham gets all the credit? Is that what's going on? Something doesn't seem fair about this. God does all the work and all Abram had to do was just believe. If you're thinking that, then I would say exactly. God isn't really fair. He is graciously unfair, giving us what we don't deserve. Making his promise good on what he does, not on what we do. In this moment, it may not look like it, but Abram took a bold step of obedience. But that's not what made him righteous. That step of obedience... That simple step of obedience allowed him to experience the depth of this adventure of God's story. Now, it was in his belief, his trust, his trust in the character of God, that's what made him righteous. You see, we don't get credit for what we do. We don't get credit or counted as discredit for what we don't do. We get credit for what we believe to be true about God. We get credit for trusting that God is who he says that he is and trusting that God will do what he tells us he will do. And what is it that God does? He pursues He is persistent in that pursuit, and he promises. See, it's not about how well we perform. It's about what he has promised us. And God initiated the promise with people, even though they didn't deserve it, they didn't earn it. And even though the people would never be able to uphold their end of the bargain. That's what makes this story so scandalous. See, it's hard for me to realize a a relationship not based upon performance. Because we live in a world that is results, rewards based. That's what we live in. We're trained from an early age. We live in a life of a merit-based system. We go potty in the toilet. We get a goldfish cracker. We do that, we're rewarded. If we're good all year long, guess who comes to see you? Santa. And what does he do? He brings you goodies. The more A's we get on our report card, then the more coins you get to spend at Chuck E. Cheese or Pizza Planet. The higher you get on your ACTs, then the better school you get to go to, and they'll pay you to go sometimes. The harder we work at work, the more we get paid. That's the reality we know. But what if? What if God is inviting us into a new reality, one that is not based upon what we can do or should do, but it's based upon what 
he can do, what he did do, and what he is doing. Wow. Now, just in case you missed what else God was talking about here, I want to read this to you. Don't miss this. Verse, chapter 17, starting with verse 1. When Abram was about 99 years old, and I think we could all agree, 99, you're, if you make it to 99, you are old. 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. To this point, it is Abram and it is his wife. Abram fell face down, not because he was having a stroke. He fell face down. Listen to this. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. He's still talking to Abram. You will be the father of many nations. 99 years old. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. What is going on here? Because he's, I still don't have a kid. And I'm 99 years old. But you've made me a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. Okay. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. This is huge. Between me and you. Everlasting. Between me and you. And your descendants after you. And for generations to come. To be God. And I'll be your God, he says. And the God of your descendants after you. This is everlasting, he says. This is pretty amazing. This is super crazy. Take note of a few things. First, God changed Abram's name to reflect who God had created him to be, not who Abram was right now. Abram was not the father of many nations, but God said, you will be, you are. And evidently that name stuck because we now today know him as Abraham. Secondly, Abraham was 99 years old. 99. And God is telling him, you are going to have a kid. You're going to become a great nation. You are going to be the conduit of a blessing from God to all humanity. Wow. Abraham had waited a long, long time for God to come through on his promise. And in this moment, at this moment right now, he is still waiting. But he's waiting. Finally, note this from that passage. Notice what Abraham did. Just this one thing. He fell face down. Abraham didn't do anything except take on this posture of listening to God and receiving from God. His posture reveals that he is, the fact that he is face down, it reveals that Abraham is helpless. All he can do is simply listen and receive whatever God had for him. There was nothing he could do at the age of 99. 
God's promise was going to be fulfilled not because of Abraham. It was going to be fulfilled because of what God was going to do. What if? What if your relationship with God had nothing to do with your performance? Instead, what if it had everything to do with what God is going to do? What if what God promised Abram was still in place today? What we find as we continue to read through the Bible is a record of God's faithful pursuit of unfaithful people like me. And God always comes through on his promises over and over and over again. And sometimes it's at a great, great cost to God. See, sometimes I get frustrated when when God isn't coming through on his promises the way I think he should. When, When he doesn't act the way I want him to act or the way I expect him to act. Sometimes I feel like God has reneged on his promise. And there are certainly times in my life where God has felt very, very distant. And and, and I wonder, is God really, is he truly with me? And those are times when it's really important for me to come back to a story just like this one. To remind myself that God works in accordance to his purposes and promises, not according to my expectations of how God should act. You know, I have to remember this too. That the good circumstances that I might find myself in in life are not necessarily a reward from God for my good behavior. Or the bad circumstances I might find myself in life. Something bad happens in my life or my family. It's not necessarily the result of bad behavior that I have had. You see, we don't gain or lose God's love or his presence based upon our performance. He doesn't manifest his activity in and around our lives by giving us good circumstances or good things for good behavior, and then giving us bad things when we have bad behavior. Rather, God demonstrates his presence and manifests his activity in our lives by being with us, despite the circumstances or tough times that we might face. He shows up by being with us. He doesn't promise, no matter what you might hear on TV, he does not promise to deliver us from bad stuff. He promises his presence through the bad stuff. And the circumstances that we face are not a reflection of how much God does or does not care for us. You know what, most, let's just be honest, most often our circumstances that we are in, those tough things, those hurtful things, those are not a reflection of God, but a reflection of our broken world that we live in. 
that world that is aching to be reconciled to its creator. God's persistence, his presence in our lives, his promise, the pursuit he has of us, those are the things that reflect how much God cares for you and how much he cares for me. Maybe this morning, maybe God has not delivered on something that you feel like he's promised you. And I can understand that. Listen, I have questions in my own life that I'm probably going to carry with me my whole life. I have disappointments and I have some frustrations and pains that leave me today confused. But when I hit those moments, I have to stop myself and I have to remember God is still a part of my story. And he has promised me that he's going to be with me through it all. He loves me regardless of what I do and regardless of what I don't do. Now, we can live this life in fear, the fear that God's not going to love you or accept you. Or we can live this life in freedom, but we can't have both. A relationship based upon fear is a relationship that says, okay, I have to do this in order for God to love me. If I don't do this, he won't love me. And many of us are in that place today. We think that God's presence in our lives is contingent, is, 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 has to be based upon our performance. What if? What if his presence in our lives was not based upon our performance Instead, it was based upon his promise. How would we look at God differently? How would we relate to him differently? See, God promises us freedom. When God told Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you, he was actually pointing to a future reality in which all humanity which is true today, would have the opportunity to be swept up into God's big story. The promise to Abraham was ultimately a promise to everyone, to you and to me. It was like God was saying to Abram, I'm choosing you right now. But the, the promise I'm giving you, Abram, is I will be opening the door for everyone in the world to be a part of this story. And that's why we are here today. And that's why we're talking about this story today. Because of that promise then, thousands of years ago. So where are you today? How are you relating to God? Is it out of fear? Based upon what you can do to God to make God happy with your life? Or to make up for what you did that was wrong? Is it out of fear? Or is it out of freedom? Understanding what God has already done for you. Are, are you afraid that you have messed up too much 
Or do you try to make deals with God? I'll do this if you'll do this, God. Or do you recognize that God's pursuit of you, his presence in your life, is far has far less to do with how you perform or what you can produce than you have ever imagined. And that pursuit and his presence have everything to do with this promise that he's made. And I believe that God is standing before you right now, just like he did when he was with Abram. And I believe that he is calling your name, calling you to be a part of his story. He wants you to be a part of his story. And guess what? He wants to be a part of your story. Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, or not because of what you can do, but only because of what he has done. And that is really good news. And it's really, that's a great story. We're going to be talking about this more in the weeks to come. But I believe that some of you may be ready for this today. You may be already ready to say yes to God. And if you are saying yes to God right now in your heart, for the very first time, I want you to let him know. I'm going to call this a, a, a me too conversation. I'm going to share with you some thoughts And if your heart is saying, God, that's me too. What Harley is saying, that's what my heart is saying. I'm saying, me too, God, count me in. So here's the conversation. And if your heart is saying, me too, you don't have to say, me too, out loud. In your heart, speaking to God, say, God, that's me too. That's me too. Here's the conversation. Jesus, you died for me to make a way for me to connect with you forever, now and forever. I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. I'm asking you to count me in right now. I am asking you, Jesus, to be the boss of my life right now. I want your continual presence in my life based upon your promise alone, not my works, not on me, but on you. Now, friends, some of you just said yes to God for the very first time. You let him know about it, and now I'm asking you this, will you let me know about it, and here's how. In just a moment, you're going to be turning in these connection cards. Even if you did one online, you could go back and change it. In just a moment, at the end of these next two songs, the band is making their way up right now. We're going to sing two songs. And at the end of that second song, we're going to be passing these buckets. And that's where the connection card goes. Before you turn that connection card in, if you just said yes to God, I'm asking you, please let me know. And here's how you do it. On the back of this card, It says, for the first time, I'm really choosing to become a Christ follower. Will you let me know and mark that box? Make sure I have a way to get a hold of you this week. A great phone number where you text, where you write, email, phone, whatever. Let me know. I'm going to holler at you this week. Let's pray. God, I have exhausted myself living in fear. 
It's been a fear of you leaving me, God. A fear of me not being good enough to keep you. A fear of you not letting me into your heaven. A fear of me messing up and missing out. But God, you are offering me freedom. All because of what you have done, not because of what I can do for you. Thank you. That even when I miss your mark, and I miss it so often, you hit the mark perfectly, God, for me. Thank you for wanting me to be a part of your story. Thank you, God, for wanting to be all up in the middle of mine. We celebrate you, Father. We, we worship you, Father. You alone are worthy of our praise, and we're going to sing of your greatness right now. The greatness of a God who enters into the story of a loner. Of those who have tried to earn their own way. The greatness of a God who delivers us from fear so that we can live in freedom. Thank you, Jesus. It is in your name that we ask these things. Amen.